Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay episode from 2019 with Stephen Bartlett, the founder of Social Chain, a global social-first marketing agency and production house. He first built his business from his bedroom in Manchester after dropping out of university. And his journey is an inspiring one from where he started to where he is now. He is a speaker, investor. He hosts the podcast Diary of a CEO, which I really enjoy watching on YouTube. And since this recording, he's released his first book called Happy Sexy Millionaire, which debuted at number two on the Sunday Times bestseller list. We chat about the influencer world, how marketing can shrink your soul, how to grow a business from scratch, what to do if your parents don't get what you do, and what to do when you burn out. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. And since this recording, Stephen has also gone on to be very involved in Dragon's Den, which is exciting. So I hope you enjoyed this replay. And here is my conversation with Stephen. I'm so excited to finally be with Steve Bartlett, the brilliant CEO of Social Chain and Media Chain. But we're going to get onto that. But thank you so much, Steve, for joining me. Thank you for having me. I feel like our paths were meant to cross like many, many times. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, uh, it's good that we're finally here. We're finally here. Um, I have so many questions for you, but for people that literally have been hiding under a rock or not been on Twitter... Mm-hmm or anywhere online. Um, do you mind just in a nutshell introducing the company that you founded? Because I feel like there's so many moving parts to it, sure. you will do a better job of that than me. I hope so. I'm going to try and explain this in a very, very simple way. So there's there's one company which I'm the CEO of, which is called The Social Chain Group. And within The Social Chain Group, there's two companies. One of them is a social first marketing business. So in short, we do the marketing on social media for um, some of the world's biggest brands from Apple to Amazon to um, Coca-Cola, um, Boohoo, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second company is called Media Chain, which is a, a media publishing house. In short, it owns a lot of big, large social media brands across YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter. And in total, we have over 100 million, 120 million followers. And we do about just shy of 2 billion um, video views every single month on our channels. Whoa. So it's a media company and a marketing agency. Yeah, amazing. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, because I guess I'm a real geek at heart and I love the internet. And I know we all grew up on MySpace and messing around on our parents' computers. But when did you know that this was a thing for you? Because you're so good at this. like You're so natural at it. You clearly really are so interested in it. Um, I, The honest answer to that question is I still don't. I still don't know that this is the thing for me. Um, I always get quite scared and I get... I always reject the notion that something is for me forever or that it was ever meant for me. I think that's quite a a dangerous way to think. There are so many things that I enjoy. I enjoy building companies. I enjoy working with teams. I've, re- I've always liked psychology. Um, I like creating things. I like creativity um, and I like freedom. And so that's manifested itself in the current role I have in this job, but it, but it could be anything. I could be doing charity work in Africa and building a really creative foundation there. Um, so I know like the values and the way that I want my life to feel, but how that manifests itself in terms of business or whatever, it just so happens right now that this is how it's, uh, yeah, showing its colors. That's really interesting. Cause sometimes I think about whether or not I'm actually that into social media or technology or whether it's just that I'm alive right now in this decade. <laughs> and that's the way that I can express myself. I completely agree. 
I completely agree. The idea of marketing is just a construct, right, that humans came up with, right, long before I was ever born and long before really um, any of us in this room were ever born. So marketing isn't a thing that my soul was born to do, right? Because <laughs> my soul and human souls were, were started long before the term marketing was ever created. That's just a construct. What I think, and I think this about careers generally, it just makes me feel a certain way, which scratches a certain itch. Um, I'm not into marketing. I'm not into like business. I'm into feeling a certain way every day and my brain being scratched in a certain way. So I, I always refrain from believing that my soul was meant to be attached to this, this construct or this career or this title. I don't believe that, you know, it's just the way I'm programmed for whatever reason, nature, nurture, all that crap means that this is the, the way you scratch my itch. Yes, yes. And and it is interesting that, well, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's soul was meant to like sell brands. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you are working with some of the world's biggest brands. So actually, it's interesting how those two meet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's I, I'm working obviously with a lot of brands at the moment, but also feel at the heart of things that I want to make a change. And I think it is an interesting discussion how capitalism does meet activism and mm -hmm. how they, because we all have to partake in the world and how 100%. it moves. Yeah, and I... I I also, I think all um, millennials especially want to change the world. I don't don't really know why. I think the consciousness, the sort of shared consciousness that the internet has given us has made us um, more understanding, more uh, aware of the issues that are going on, but also more empowered and given us more the feeling that we can have an impact, right? Through a tweet that could go viral or, you know, whatever. So we know the problem and we now more than ever feel like we can solve it. So I think that's why a lot of young people are uh, more purposeful than ever and you know, for a long time, ever since I was 18 years old and I was fucking broke. Like I was shoplifting pizzas when I was 18 years old. So I was not in a good place to change the world by anyone's account. But I said to myself then, if I could be saving one African child's life or one child in Russia or whatever, wherever else, would that be more worthwhile than this website that I'm building in my bedroom? And the answer was definitely yes. So I've always had this burden on my back of, well, why aren't I saving kids then? And why am I making myself money? Do you know what I mean? Sure, if 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 the last five years of my life I could have saved one child's life, would that would have been more worthwhile than helping Coca-Cola sell more Coke? But you do both, right? Yeah, so here's the thing. We do both and we have, this year alone, we've pledged to give a million dollars of our money and resources to a variety of different global goals. And we've, we've you know, we're in January and we've done about 10% of that pledge already, which is good. Amazing. But my conclusion, and this might be bullshit, I might just be lying to myself, definite possibility is that in order to change the world um i've got a lot to fucking learn right and there are five buckets that i'm feeding into in this phase of my life that is i guess who i know don't know if it's five buckets who i know um my network what i know my skills so like sales being able to present etc um my resources which could be my um money whatever and lastly my personal brand and this is really interesting sorry to be talking too much this is not my podcast this is more talky from okay. you less from me and to explain why i think those five buckets are so important my friend in um that uh he's the ceo of bebo in san francisco bebo once upon a time sold for 800 million um and he was in san francisco and elon musk jogged past and elon musk started talking to him about spaceships and rockets and all of their plans for spacex and all of these things and then just jogged off. And Sean said to me, the CFB, he was like, I was so inspired. Great chat, right? Imagine 18-year-old Steve Bartlett jogging down that same street 
imagine Emma, and I come up to you and I start talking to you about spacecrafts and rockets and I'm going to the moon. You're going to think I'm fucking crazy. Like I've lost my mind, right? But because Elon has the personal brand, the resources, the backing, because he did PayPal, NASA gave him a billion dollars and said, go to space. And I think the impact that I can have by doing my my PayPal now is going to be much greater than if I tried to do Change the World when I was 18. I absolutely agree. I think people overlook the strategy. Yeah. Like I'll, a lot of people want a platform, like look at Michelle, Michelle Obama, look at someone like Annie Lennox, mm-hmm. who was the biggest pop star ever. And now she is literally saving lives, mm-hmm. rebranded herself, but sh- people are listening to her now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's an accident. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are trying to have a platform in order to do things. Oprah, Bill Gates, hasn't he cured every illness or something? There's no, there's no bill gates curing all these diseases he's cured without microsoft and it's not selling computers what it is is what those five buckets that bill gates fed into on that journey which now allow him to change the world and um i think i need to be humble and know that there's so much that i have to learn um and be patient you know Mm -hmm. which again is something that millennials just don't know yeah is foreign to us so well it's amazing what you're saying in a world of fire festivals and the like, you know, we're in a world where a lot of people get carried away as well with a lot of things. And I think it's a me- it's really refreshing to hear a lot of people with massive goals that are about more than just the shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no part of me that thinks I want to do marketing for the rest of my life. I love it now. I do. I love it. And I think I love it because I'm learning so much about people. And if there was ever a game of who knows people the best and getting to know people and what, how they behave and understanding them. It's marketing. And that's why, and that's why I said it in school. The only lesson that I went to was bloody psychology. And the other lesson was business. My Mm. psychology in hundred percent attendance, my general attendance. And the reason I got expelled was because my attendance was 30%. So psychology and business have always scratched my itch or whatever, you know? Yeah. So at the very beginning, before you set up the company, you were at university, weren't you? And you were studying to do what you're doing now, essentially. How did you know, to drop out because I I say I get into trouble for what I say about university because I did it right. and I realized that in six months I'd achieved so much more than Amen. those three years where honestly I didn't learn a thing the Lord. but I mean go to university kids if you want to <laughs> <laughs> um so I, so your question was like how did I know to drop how out? did you know to do it yeah so I I went to one lecture and then I dropped out um and I'm 100% I, if I had to bet my French bulldog Pablo on the fact that that was the wrong lecture, I would bet him. It was 100% the wrong lecture because I was meant to be studying business and the guy was making analogies with a cardboard box about love. So there was no way it was about business, but I was so unorganized that I didn't get my schedule. I, How did I know to drop out then? Again, I didn't. I can tell you the hindsight retrospective bullshit story about the dots connecting and me having some kind of like divine intervention, but it's exactly that bullshit. I had, I just, I've never made decisions based on much more than how I feel (laughs) you know really really I don't overthink things and I don't really care what anyone thinks my mum my dad I don't care if there's necessarily um this path hasn't been taken before and there's not necessarily a blueprint just you know I went there it felt like school I felt that this was totally pointless from the first first week there and the girl next to me was um sleeping on the desk I genuinely liked business. The guy with the love love box was on about, we're going to make a poster next week. And I thought, no, not with my life. Like, I'm not doing this again. And I thought, I'm never coming back. And I went, I left and I never, ever went back. Um, yeah. Called my mom, told her I was, 
I was dropping out and my mum, uh, she said she wasn't going to speak to me for a couple of years. So mm. I spoke to her two years later for the first, for a, well, yeah, pretty much the first time after that. She didn't take it well. Mm. What do I think of university? Scam. Mm, I yeah little, a little bit I, there's Sorry. something to be said for rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in the real world but I don't know whether I'm saying that I feel very privileged that I even got the chance to go to university so I, I don't know how I feel about it but with your family and and that because I, I, do does it come from a place of love though that you you want someone to follow the rules and do well it's a fear thing isn't it of like mom, I'm scared that you're not going 100% my mum dropped out of school in Africa when she was six years old and my mum can't read or write to this day. I grew up teaching my mum how to read and she's got four kids. I'm the youngest. The other three, the oldest, the other three oldest ones went to LSE, Cambridge. um, I don't know, some other great university. Um, And in my mum's head, her very traditional head where she comes from a country where education is the biggest thing in the world. University meant safety for my future and my mum loves me. So Mm -hmm. she wanted, the only thing she knew in her head was university would mean I would be safe and also that she would become a successful mother because I went. And um, I forgave my mum in that moment. And I realized that my mum doesn't have the information from her experiences in her head to take me where I want to go. My mum runs a hair salon in in the Southwest of England. If I want to know how to run a hair salon in the Southwest of England, the first person I go to. If I want to know how to build a big global business on social media, my mum doesn't have a phone. She, if I told my mum to turn on my laptop, we'd she would she would break it, right? She'd break the screen or something. She's never turned on a computer in her life. She doesn't have a mobile phone. How can she tell me that building a business on a mobile phone or the computer is a bad idea? She can't. And in that moment, I forgave her for not having that information. Mm-hmm. Was never been mad at her. And even there was no "I told you so" with my mum. It's listen, I know you love me. Um, and it's not easy having this conversation with people. Mm. The, one of the biggest things I get messages about is this exact conversation. You know, scared of my parents' opinion. I don't want to let them down, you know. And the the crazy story, which is hard to believe in, is the, the fundamental truth is your parents want you to be happy and safe, right? And the route to you being happy and therefore safe, in my mind, is by doing it your way. That's like, oh, it might take a while. It might take five, 10 years but you're definitely not going to be happy and safe if you end up getting a shit job you hate and you you cl- you clock in in the bloody Canary Wharf every day, hating your life with a suit and tie on, doing something that sucks the passion and life out of you. And you come home hating your life, You come home, which results in bad relationships, ill mental health and questioning everything. And you have a midlife crisis at 40 because you never did it your way when you were 22. I get it a lot at my events, people coming up to me saying, I'd love to do a similar thing to you or you've inspired me to do this but my parents would be really disappointed in me and I wonder if actually we're one of the first generations who can't ask their parents for advice for so many generations you you would do what your parents did that social media came along and they don't know about it as much yeah and and you know back when my dad was my age the amount of influences in his life what school and his parents there wasn't like an internet or Instagram telling him you can be a vlogger or you can be Zoella. And I talk about this sometime. Now, now there's this second story and this second narrative, which is consuming more of uh, your kid's time, more of my time, which is telling me that I can be anything. I can be an entrepreneur. I can start a business on Instagram. I can do YouTube. I can do whatever I want. I can travel the world and get paid to take photos. 
And this is a, a counter story, which is eroding away at the, the story of university and that your parents know. So we're at, this generation are in conflict yeah. with these two narratives colliding. There's freedom and anything's possible in this go be a doctor. The two years though that you said that it was a little bit, in, you know, tense and maybe you weren't talking to your family as much. Did Was that a motivator? It probably sounds really cliche, but did you feel like I actually have to do this now and prove people wrong or is that never Honestly, a motivator? no. no like and this comes from the same when i said there was no i told you so that was never the reason why i was um pursuing my ambitions um i wasn't trying to do it to prove anyone wrong or to to because the truth is and this doesn't necessarily account for my mum because i do love and care about my mum but i i've never done things to prove people wrong i've always 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 done things to prove myself and the people that supported me right so my investors or my team, that's the big motivator. Everybody that, like, when I've got people that laughed in my face when I told them that I was going to start a business, laughed in my face. Those same people have messaged me asking me for help and advice and called me four years later. I will take the call and I will treat them with the same grace and respect in fact, I treat them with more respect. Oh my God, you're such a better person than me. No, but because, <laughs> because, because it's a weird thing because it's like, this is that, in that moment there, I'm going to say his name, Charlie. Charlie laughed in my face when I told him that I was going to start a business. Ha ha, you, ha ha, you, whatever. Like laughed in my face. Four or five years later, Charlie messages me on Facebook like, Steve, my life is not good. I need your help. And in that moment, I have a chance to be exactly what I wish Charlie was. And that's why when those people pop up, I'm nicer to them than <laughs> than anybody else. Because I'm like, I can correct something in you now. Yeah. And I can like restore this like this sense of karma, which I don't believe I don't believe in like the supernatural force of karma, but I can restore something by holding a grudge or being vengeful, you know? Yes, totally. And and actually I think it's the same for when people ask you for help because even if they haven't helped you before, because actually the more you give and the more you share and the more people you can connect to each other, it all, it, you know, it, if you're afraid of someone else doing something similar to you, then you're, you're kind of in the wrong business. Cause I think you have to look beyond that. A hundred percent. So with, with your company, you have been in the press quite a lot in terms of caring about the workplace. I think we're in a time where people hate work so much I mean, in my book, there's so many statistics that and I that I hated, but didn't shock me about how like 80% of Londoners hate their jobs. Um, half of the whole of UK workers want to be more freelance. A workplace that people want to go to every day is really important. And you have done that by the looks of things with the interviews and people like working for you. They're all lying, honestly. <laughs> I've got guns everywhere. But how do you do that? I'm sure so, a lot of people listening need to be better uh, at that. This is like the, the easiest question to answer of all the questions I've ever been asked. Um... I didn't have a fucking clue. There's two things. I didn't have a clue what work was meant to be like. I was so naive. And because I hadn't read the book that everyone seems to have read about you get 28 days holiday and you'll if you want holiday, you give us two weeks. I didn't mm. read the book. I've not read that book. So I, when I walked into that, um, to our office space for the first time, and I was like, right, this is where social change is going to be. I had no preconceptions of what work is meant to be like. And I'm someone that is fundamentally unemployable. Because I don't attend school. My attendance hits 30%. I quit university after one lecture. So through my perspective, why would anyone want to be here? And you and imagine creating a workplace from that perspective with the assumption that no one likes work and you fucking hate it too. So that's the, the first thing I did was bought a £13,000 slide <coughs> and a ball pit before I had desks. 
we built a slide, you know? And then there's loads of dogs running around. We like anyone, you can have unlimited holidays, the f- f- food and the cupboards are full of food. You know, we pay for all your mental health therapy. We do whatever, like <laughs> whatever you want. And we're all mates. Um, we have a ha- we hired a director of happiness and then a happy- another oh, yeah, happiness manager. That. We're hiring our third happiness manager now. And these are just people that genuinely just constantly ask you what we can do to make you happier. Mm. It's and like, thank you for coming in every day. Yeah, just thank God you're here. <laughs> Here's some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was worried you weren't going to come back after yesterday. Like, um, And that's that's the honest answer. I think that the calculated, strategic nature of building a company culture always seems to come from a bad place and backfires. We never, ever tried. They, when people, when we put this job up um, for the director of happiness or the head of happiness, like people thought we were a bunch of like old CEOs conniving in a room. We were like, no we just keep missing people's birthdays and we want to make sure that when it's Jenny's birthday, she gets a massive cake and we all, and loads of presents and we all make a massive fuss. And there's so many of us now we're forgetting it. And she's been here a year and no one said anything. That's not nice. And her, her dad just passed away. Like, why don't we send flowers to her family? Like, these are mm. things that we wanted to do because we care. And um, people perceived it as some like PR spin. Wasn't that, we're not that smart. Like, it's just a nice know, thing to do. Just a fucking nice, yeah. and the crazy thing is in hindsight, turns out the more you care about people it's it's like a reciprocated thing they they show it so the the, the amount of care people show to the social chain is just phenomenal mm. and i don't know how i don't know why but it's because we care And I mean, at the beginning of this chat, you said that you do things because of how you feel. And mm-hmm. it's just, that's kind of what you're doing. You're passing 100%. on. I want you to feel 100%. good. If I was going to be um, Piers Morgany, um, <laughs> what do you say to people who say that millennials and the like are just like a bunch of snowflakes that need to be like mollycoddled? Mo- what's the word? Mollycoddled? Mo- something like that. At um, work with with like all these perks. Um do I think perks matter? No. I don't really think perks matter. I think freedom's really important. Mm. I think control. A lot of psychology books that I read, like Lost Connections by Johanna Hari, talk about how the one way you can get depressed at work is if you feel like you don't have control over what you're doing. Um, so I think control is really important. Um, I think flexibility, this comes kind of back to freedom, is so important. Um, do I think millennials are like moddy coddled and like lazy? I think that millennials are the hardest working, most burnt out, most exhausted, always on, don't know anything but email notifications, constant work than any generation that's ever come before them. I think there's this tremendous danger of us us as millennials getting like being mentally sicker than any generation because we are just always working and we've changed our lifestyles to just focus on efficiencies so like don't eat we don't go out and get food anymore we just order it to where we are we everything is just about efficiencies now and it's come at the the cost and the expense of valuable person to person human interaction exercise um enjoyment family and all these other things you know like i feel really sorry for millennials i think they Mm. grew up in a in a world which is exhausting and um yeah god i agree 
Wait, I feel exhausted just listening. I'm like, oh, it's reminded me how exhausted I am. Do you know what I mean? Like this, yeah. uh, it's like the whole life is just this never ending to do digital to-do mm, list. Like everything's a life hack. We can't just kind of enjoy. Because I, I asked that question as well, because I had actually a meeting this morning with someone who's quite a lot older than us, but um, I won't name names, but she was saying that one of her employees is is having mental health problems and like it's really slowing down, you know, the campaign. And, and what do you do when someone's struggling at work? Because we need to crack on with this. And it's like... We this mental health epidemic is so serious, yeah. and I think we can't just like plaster over it. No, there's listen. There's no fucking yoga. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, of course. Okay. There's no yoga or like vegan food or massages or unlimited holiday or back massage that's going to help. It, like. I think sometimes people will like mindfulness app. There's no app that's going to help this stuff. This is so, so deep. It's so deep in, within our society and the, it's changed like social media. The internet has changed the fabric of who we are. You know, um, I was reading this book the other day about mental health and it talks about how once upon a time as humans, we lived in caves and out in nature and we lived with our families and our friends and every single day when we wanted to eat we went hunting and we did exercise and all of these great things we now live alone between four white walls and the average the modal american says that in a time of crisis there are zero people they could turn to that's the most Mm -hmm. common answer Um, and we speak to our friends and loved ones by tapping glass screens we are so far and this is what johanna hari talks about we are so far from human so far from the uh, the evolution, the psychological needs that we were were built into us, and so they think that depression and anxiety and these feelings of loneliness are our calling to get back to being human, get back to our loved ones, get back to nature, get back to exercise. And there's studies that show prisoners that face nature versus prisoners that face concrete are thirty percent less depressed. All of the studies in this book mm. prove this, you know. And, yeah, millennials are fucked. Mm. Do you tread the line then between talking about the hustle? Because mm. I mean, I I have hustled really yeah. hard, and I say that very sure. openly to a lot of people. I'm like, I've I've actually worked really hard because, and and actually at the detriment. I'm not saying that's the only reason that things are going well, but you know, there's been so many Sundays where I haven't gone to the pub with my friends. There's been loads of late nights that you know I could have been out having more fun. So the hustle is real, but also I don't want to glorify the hustle and i think we're we're moving into an anti-hustle culture at the moment where it's not cool anymore actually to do that but where's your where's your take on that where's your balance on that um i'm the same as you in the sense that if you want to know how i got here hard work and some people hate that answer because they think that i'm um encouraging people to sacrifice everything and um give it all to your career and capitalism, whatever. That's just the truth. I can't step away from my history. Would I tell you to do that? No. Would I advise anybody to do what I did? Nope. Am Mm -hmm. I happy and great? Yes. These are all these like contradictions. Would I advise? Nope. (laughs) So (laughs) it's really what, you know, I, I was thinking about this on the plane over here. In fact, there is no secret to success because every single individual is different. And it's like, we're all different ingredients. And there's, you know, um, for me, for Steve Bartlett, my itch, my happiness, my purpose came from that. It came from building and hustling. And, and I was, because of my childhood, I'm, I've always been great being alone. 
And so when I was 18 years old, I sat in that room alone for about two and a half years building a website that failed, right? So that's just who I am and how I'm built. For you, bad idea. And also, you probably wouldn't like my life now. So step away from the idea that you have to... you have to become a, uh, a career success and re- reframe what the word success means for you. Mm-hmm. And I am so fucking jealous of my brother. He's got, he's just had a little baby. He's got a wife. They've got a little place in London. And just every day he just get what gets to watch his daughter grow up. He's one year older than me. Like I'm going to be on six planes in the next, like, I don't know, three days. Mm. I'm not going to see my family, not going to see any of my friends. That's right for him and this is right for me. And don't for, please don't for a second. Like, I know that if some of you lived my life, you would, (laughs) I'm gonna use a very strong word then, you would (laughs) fucking hate it. Like, this is a bad idea, you know? And so this comes back to the point about self-awareness. Yes. Knowing who you are and what what scratches your whatever is key. Don't think what scratches my thing is gonna scratch your thing and, um, we, we're very good at confusing because of like Instagram and social media, like aspiration with admiration. You can admire what I've done, but it doesn't mean you have to aspire to do it. Yes. You and know? you don't have to be, you don't, inspiration can be separate from comparison because yeah. I can look at someone and be inspired, but it doesn't mean I, I don't want of that. Course. Yeah. And I think that as well, that, that what you just said is so perfect because it means we should just stop judging each other. Mm-hmm. I get asked so much about what work-life balance is and I'm like, it, there is not one yeah. balance. Like I'm a workaholic. You can judge me, but I like it. Yeah. So just let me get on yeah. with it. And if you don't want to work as much, like I'm not making you feel bad. It's mm-hmm. just, this is my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 so true. And I think as well around the talk around women at the moment in like, can they have it all? Like, can they be mothers and can they be workers? And it's like, let's just have our own ratio, mm-hmm. like whatever works for us. Mm-hmm. But- um, I completely agree. How do you balance kind of the Steve Bartlett stuff with the running a company stuff? Because like it feels stuff. like they're two moving parts because it's almost like your personal brand is a, is a company in itself kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think the two are like so intrinsically like connected. They're so, they're the same thing to me. So my company is a reflection of my values and my personal brand is again, a reflection of my values in many respects. Um, my personal brand grows because of my company and my company grows because of my personal brand. The two are, you know, in the first year of social chain, um, 60% of the revenue we made came from me, from people I met from speaking on stage. So I, I met Boohoo from speak to a talk I did in London and they've been a, a very big client of ours for the last four or five years since then. Um, and it got to a point where the business got so big that my personal brand got so big that I no longer had to pay to speak on stage. Because in the first mm-hmm. year, I was just paying everybody to, to allow me to speak on stage. Um, it's funny so when connected. that must change. Yeah, it was, yeah, and then people start inviting you and you start saying no to stuff. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And then they start paying you. I saw a video that's of you recently brilliant. talking to like 10,000 people on stage or something. Oh, that's just, that was Photoshop. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that was, that was a, um, a, yeah, that was great. That was a first for me. I mean, if you're working with, you work with a, a lot of social influencers, right? Yeah. Um, so you're kind of, obviously you're an expert in this. So it must be that you you know how to spread a message and you are able to do that for yourself and your own platform as well. Yeah. It, a lot of it comes from the fact that we run so many social media pages. So we understand how to um, produce content and how to get it to travel far. Um, so my biggest 
platform is my Facebook watch page in terms of views. And we'll average, if we did an average, it'd be about 10 million views per video. And mm. I've only made five because I just don't have the time. But um, that's just taking the expertise we've learned from running channel- channels in our media and our marketing business. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you this because you're the perfect person. Like, you know so much about this industry. Okay. Um, I know, sorry, I, but I have to. But you know the BBC, I don't know if you've seen the BBC Panorama documentary that's just come out about influencers. They asked me uh, sorry, to I know everyone's, oh, really asked yeah, you to yeah, go on it. He called me before and he said, we've got this documentary coming out. We want you to film with you for three days in um, January. Do you want to be on wow. it? And unfortunately, I was filming with Channel 4, so I couldn't. <laughs> But, it's it's an interesting one. It's not um, um it's not that finger pointy. It's just saying that uh with TV adverts there are regulations, mm-hmm. with social adverts there aren't as many mm-hmm. regulations and we're getting there and blah blah blah. I do I do sponsored posts. I mean I'm I could be categorized in some ways as an influencer, even though the word mm-hmm. has become quite dirty, it seems. But what do you think the future is of this world? Like do you think it will oh, implode and then know. like refresh or influence marketing is largely toxic. Um, I'd agree with that. (laughs) Like, so I can't remember this. Yeah, his name is Timothy Kessa. There's this great psychologist that did these studies on these young kids. And he, what he was trying to figure out is if you live your life motivated for extrinsic values. So an example of an extrinsic value is I'm playing the piano so that I get laid or I'm um, posting on Instagram so that I get likes. It's all for external reasons. Then you are significantly more likely to be depressed, unhappy, to experience less joy, to experience more despair, and all of these things that you see with our generation now. However, if you live your life for intrinsic values, which is playing the piano because you like playing the piano and doing something for somebody because you wanted to do that for them or hanging out with your parents because it makes you feel good then you experience more joy, less despair, you're happier and all the positive stuff. And when I think about what Instagram does, especially in the influence marketing space, is it's encouraging you to live your life for extrinsic reasons. Um, And all the studies show, there's 22 different studies, show that that will lead you to being depressed, anxious, um, to experience less joy, more despair, and really like have this sense of emptiness and lack of fulfillment. And you you end Mm. up chasing pleasure, confusing it for happiness for the rest of your life. And so, um, yeah. And do you know what? The question you should ask me is, Steve, while you work in this industry, like you pay these influencers, you, this is, you, you run an influence marketing business. I know. Like, And the crazy thing is like, I'm finding out all of these things about social media and I'm saying them and people come at me and they're like, well, you work. It's like, listen, if imagine if I knew and I didn't say anything, mm. would I not be more of an asshole then? Like, don't you wish more people who were in industries where they saw problems said, you know, highlighted the problems even though they were making money from that industry um and the second thing is we're also changing our business to make sure we would never touch anything like skinny tummy diarrhea whatever the hell it is laxatives whatever the fuck those those tea bags are um we'd never ever do that anyway We, we, we don't market anything that makes people feel inadequate by our own definitions um we're we're producing a guideline that comes out next week for the industry which will prevent certain practices within influencer marketing we launched a tool which allows you to spot fake followers like i'm in this industry mm. i'm calling as i see it and then i'm trying to do something about it yes do you know what i mean i mean sue me yeah <laughs> but in in the nicest possible way like you do break the stereotype like as in the judgment could be that you aren't going to say any of this and that you you know that's why i think people are so interested in you because you are you know you could just not be as honest 
Do you know, it's because I don't care about the consequences. And it's the same reason why I dropped out and the same reason why I didn't go to school. I really don't care. I don't care. What's it? You're going to take social chain away. I'll be fine. Mm. So like I feel the sense, and this is the whole thing, our values as a company has been like first and fearless. And going back to your question about how the two are interlinked to my personal brand and the company, it's just the same thing. It's a reflection mm. of me um, and the values that I had and other values that the team share. I don't care. I don't care if that's bad. I don't care if that, if I say this about influence marketing and everyone decides not to do influence marketing and all the money goes, well, fine, I'll figure something else out. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather mm. just be true. I get more from that. Yes. Well, it's a it's a long term plan. Like in general, just being true to yourself. Like it's not it's not rocket science. But I think a lot of people get really lost. Isn't it just saying again, like how I feel? I'm yeah. not really thinking about the concept. Like it goes back to everything we've discussed. Mm. I'm just saying what I think, and I'm acting on it. And I'm not thinking yeah. about the consequences of putting the 13k slide in, or about making a video destroying my own industry. I'm not thinking about it. Mm. <laughs> seems to work out. You know, being true to yourself seems to figure itself out in the long term. Does that translate into gut instincts a lot? Then, like you know, when you meet someone and it's not quite right. Yeah. Do you follow that quite a lot? Because I, I I do that. I think. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your gut, your gut's smarter than your brain is, isn't it? Because your gut, yeah. your gut's like been there before, and it's you like. Isn't no, it no. your body that knows before your brain? Is that something, the, like, something that. like that? Completely. Yeah, your, your gut, your gut, your brain tries to convince yourself and it forgives people very quickly and it creates stories. No, maybe this, they'll be different. Maybe this time will be different. Your gut says, no, listen, you naive mother. Like, this is the same shit you went through last time. Bounce. Mm. And you, your head's like, no, well, maybe she's, you know, we'll give her a chance. Like, you know. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's so your true. Gut's like, a savage yes get out of here now very smart wise savage <laughs> yeah that's like trying to speak to you but so just lastly um this is a really open question so you, so i'm i'm always intrigued how what people say but what are you looking forward to that is coming up oh oh that's a really weird question to ask me that's so do you know why that's a hard question because i just don't look that far ahead do you not no i and it's i don't have a business plan i don't know what social team will be doing next year I take it week by week. Interesting. And I just try and <laughs> there's certain convers like chats that I'm in on WhatsApp with certain, like some of the managing directors and the MDs where I'll almost appear to be mildly can I say schizophrenic and not get in trouble? I don't mm. know. I said it now, haven't I? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, like I have split personalities because I change with the wind. Because the you know one of our values is um, talks about the ever changing landscape. We live in this changing world. Facebook. This you know, Instagram this morning decided to call loads of followers. Google Plus is dead. Google Plus died. We we can't predict these things, so we have to be we have to not have our flag pinned in the in the future somewhere. I take every week as it comes. What am I looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the summer with the team and spending time with the team. I think we're going to go somewhere fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing my niece and. I'm just, I'm looking forward to taking some risks that make me feel uncomfortable. Mm. We're like, we're taking this massive warehouse in New York City, uh, which is like 35,000 square feet. And don't tell my CFO this, but it's probably not the best idea, but that's like, it feels right, mm. you know? And it, but it also terrifies the shit out of me. So it, if, it's funny how being safe can be more terrifying oh, sometimes. It's so terrifying. It makes yeah. you uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. No worries. Thank um, you really great to chat. It's a privilege. Thank you, Emma.